right now, trauma is is almost a little bit of a buzzword. And, um, you know, we, we want to be precise in our definitions and we, because that's when it can be most helpful. So one of the things um, we know about trauma is that it actually changes your perception of yourself and the way you view the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to In Every Season. This podcast has been created from an authentic place of wanting to discover, to connect, and to have conversations that really matter. I am Tess, your co-host here, owner and founder of Deterding Law, a law firm that is also behind this podcast. Um, We do estate planning, probate, trust administration, all kinds of fun stuff in the estate planning realm. And uh, just as a human being on this earth have had some trials and tribulations, I enjoy sharing each and every one of them with you um, to hopefully inspire, help move through and walk this path with you. Um, I'm so excited about today's guest and just kind of where this conversation is going to go and how it's going to stir us inside. So. Yeah, and the, I, I am very, very excited about today's guest. Uh, without further ado, uh, Dr. Amy Hoyt is joining us today, and she is a what I would call, I don't know if, if you would call yourself this, Amy, but a trauma expert um, and somebody who spends uh, day in and day out working with people to um, help the symptoms of trauma, um, unpacking things that may be newer or older, um, but helping people just in general live better lives. Um, I can say that I myself have gone through Amy's um, program and I found it to be um, very cost cost effective, affordable for me, um, something I could do at my own pace if I wanted to do more work one week because I was feeling a certain way or lay off another week or another month and then I had that ability to do that and I felt like it um, helped me profoundly. So Dr. Amy Hoyt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here speaking to both of you. Thank you for having me. Can you, Amy, give us a little bit of a story of you? Absolutely. Okay. How far back do you want me to go? (laughs) This is your journey. You take us on your journey. Okay. Well, I would say in how it relates to what I do now as a career, um, I would say my first Um, piece of information that I will start with is when I was quite young, I was sexually abused by a boy who my parents had taken in, a teenager. And um, that really set the tone for a lot of um, the latter years of my, you know, childhood, teenage years, and even young adulthood. Mm -hmm. And um, I became a different person. Um, Of course, I didn't tell anyone. I kept it to myself um, and turned to many different ways of coping with it, um, mainly alcohol and marijuana, and really learned a lot of um, maladaptive tools to deal with some of the shame that I felt and some of the um, just isolation, I think. So fast forward to, uh, it was my senior year in high school, actually. And um, my best friends actually told my parents that uh, they were concerned about me, about my drinking. And um, my parents intervened. And to their credit, 
they um, got help for me. And I went into rehab in the middle of my senior year of high school and then um, lived in a halfway house for about five months after that. And I was so angry with my parents. I just thought that they were exaggerating. It was so unfair. Um, but looking back now, I see that that getting that sort of help really saved me. Mm -hmm. And it really then set, you know, the trajectory for the rest of my life, which I'm really grateful for now. So I would say those are the key pieces of information that kind of formed my um, early years. And then I became very passionate about healing and helping other people heal and working through really what I thought was hopeless when I was younger. I just didn't see any way out. And I feel so strongly that there is so much hope that I, I just, I feel obsessed with letting people know that they too can um, find joy and healing. Wow. I, I did not know uh, all that detail about your story. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And Absolutely. I, it makes so much sense. You know, um, we talk a lot on uh, with our audience about vulnerability and about, you know, showing up for yourself in order to allow other people to do the same. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you just said is that you turned what otherwise could send somebody in, on a completely different life path. You turned that into healing, not only for yourself, but for other people. Um, if you were to our audience, I, I spoke to you about this a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it's a, this is a spinoff of not spinoff of it is born from the sisterhood collective, which is, um, you know, a group of women that um, are sharing ideas, feelings, thoughts. Um, and, you know, I think that whether it's sexual abuse or not, um, you know, we all carry, you know, some trauma just being on this earth and um, being raised by other human beings and whatnot uh, and interacting with humans on a daily basis. What would you say to our audience? You know, uh, uh, let's say that there's a woman listening right now that is like, how do I even start? Like, how do I know if I, if I'm carrying this stuff with me? Mm, that's a really good question, Tess. Um, well, I think that's, it's tricky, right? Because negatively. And so that's what separates it from, you know, an unfortunate event. So you might have a major auto accident, but it didn't reshape how you viewed yourself and how you viewed the world and um, in a less safe way. Whereas another person might have that same type of auto accident and um, have a different response. And that could be a traumatic response depending on um, how it affected them. So one of the things we can do is we can, like you said, decide and figure out if we have trauma. We actually do offer a quiz that we have on our website because it is so tricky to know whether you've been affected by trauma. Um, but we have a quiz that is based on all of the peer-reviewed um, literature out there um, for people to find out if they have trauma. And that is at mendingtrauma.com slash quiz. So finding out, first of all, if you have trauma would be definitely the first step. And then the, the next step, I think, would be deciding um, how you want to address it. There's many, many different ways to address it. I like the idea of micro steps, small steps, um, I think many of us, when we're seeking change, we get really nervous 
about radically um, imploding, <laughs> you know, our lives. And so I would suggest at that point, reaching out to someone, it can be someone from our organization, it can be your own therapist, it can be a good friend and talking to them and talking through um, what you're thinking. There are so many options for treatment. Um, but what we do know is that when you combine not just talking about it, in fact, talking is the least effective way of dealing with therapy or trauma. Um, it's great for so many things, but talk therapy is not really the gold standard for trauma anymore. Um, but we know that if you involve the body doing different, what we call somatic therapies, that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck in terms of working through healing. Mm -hmm. I feel like every day is an invitation to going on that journey of deeper healing. Like we've all been through something, whether it's trauma or pain or however we label it. But I feel like every day that I wake up, it's like an invitation to go in deeper and to really understand where my hurts, my pains and my triggers are at so that I can be the best version of myself for me, for my family, for my business. And I also understand because I've been on this healing journey, like present in it, pursuing it, wanting to know um, the areas of my life that I was uncertain about, that it's really hard and exhausting sometimes and why people may start and then stop, you know, because I feel like that first year is so like, it just, un you know, you just get undone in a way that's so uncomfortable. Absolutely. And you're as, I, I just remember feeling so naked all the time. Like I feel so bare. I feel like I, you know, pruned friends and I don't know. It was just like this huge transition in my life. And so what would you say when somebody is like it, one foot in, one foot out, and it's that really uncomfortable and super intense. That's the word. And they just don't really know how to manage those emotions. Yeah, that's a really good question, Jessica. Um, I know from my own healing journey, as you talked about yours, it is not linear. It's not just the stairway up to, you know, oh, I'm healed. <laughs> it's more of this circular mountainous terrain. And sometimes you need to find a resting spot. And I feel so strongly that we each, um, I mean, that's one of the things we teach in the program is we have to start paying attention to how we feel inside about whether this is a good time to progress and do more work or whether it's a time to rest mm -hmm. and get ready um, for whatever, you know, there's been years where I wasn't actively working on my trauma, especially when I was in the middle of having children. Um, our children are, they're still young. Our youngest are nine-year-old twins. Um, but, you know, there are certain points in our lives where that intensity to focus inward is, is actually not possible because of something else that's going on or other commitments we've made to like other small humans. <laughs> right. So, um, I would say, listen to yourself. If you, it is going to be uncomfortable to go towards healing, but if it is so excruciating and so uncomfortable that you can't function, um, then it might be time to take a little bit of a rest 
and I believe so to my core that the journey is, as you said, each day, um, I believe it's a lifetime journey for me. And so there's no rush. Um, I will get to where I need to be when I get there. I feel like Mr. Incredible, we'll get there when we get there, right? Um, when their kids are asking in the movie, like, when when are we going to get there, you know, on the road trip? Um, but I really do believe that we have to listen to ourselves. Yeah, I love this topic. And I think that um, what I love about Mending Trauma, your, your program, you, and I know it's a collaboration, and I think that that's, that'll be fun to talk about here in a little bit, but you specifically um, have dealt with and deal with a lot of like high-performing people. And our audience is a lot of high-performing people, right? You have um, your business owners, your moms, your wives, your what they wear all these hats, your life is so full. And, and a lot of times, and I know for me, um, I feel like, oh, okay, you tell me, well, Tess, I feel like you have a lot of symptoms of somebody that's experienced trauma that needs to be healed. I'm like, okay, let's go. Give me the book. Give me the, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm going to be better next week. Right. Like, it's, yep. So it's like counterintuitive, I think, for people that are high productivity, get her done people to say like, oh, well, this is going to be this lifelong journey. And it's just going to, right? Like <laughs> it's a mountain that you're never really going to get to the top of and accepting that idea fully yeah. and yourself to have those lulls. It's like that I think is easier for some people than others. And most of the women that we talk to and talk with here, men too, um, are those very like get her done, high performing people. Which yeah. is like, because I do feel like, and specifically like for myself, because I am like that, when I am stepping into that healing journey, I'm also so busy in it that sometimes I'm not feeling it. Yeah. So I'm busy just trying to get mm -hmm. through it that I'm actually not really feeling what I need to feel so I can get through it. And I've noticed that sometimes, like you said, um, I need to just stop and realize that this is, you know, a time where I need to actually let that emotion come and then release it and let it go. That even in healing, sometimes I'll feel a resistance with an emotion or a thought or a memory. And, you know, a lot of times I think I'm healing, but I'm actually not, even though I'm pursuing it. I'm almost like the busyness of it. Like I could do the paperwork and, you know, and, and do the <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I, it's just interesting to me how many different ways, you know, sometimes we're, we're like creative human beings, right? And we know even some, sometimes how to manipulate our healing. Absolutely. Yeah. They're fine. The way to get to the end point, like even like thinking things like, I don't have time to deal with this. Like how fascinating is that? Right? Like, I don't have time to deal with this, but I'm doing things daily as a result of, yeah, yeah. as a yeah. result of trauma that I don't like, but um, will you, Amy, talk a little bit about some of the like more prominent symptoms that you see of someone um, carrying some unhealed trauma? Sure, absolutely. And first, I would I just wanted to agree with both of you that it feels so counterintuitive as a high achieving person that you know this journey might not have an end point. Um, and so there definitely are timeline parameters that. Um, we put around healing. That's why when you, you know, even when you go to a therapist, you're going to have, they're hopefully not going to just see you each week for the rest of your life. Um, there's probably a plan, a treatment plan. So I just want to reiterate what you said, that it is really counterintuitive. And 
um, I think maybe what we need or what we're um, looking towards is high, like a hybrid, right? It's a hybrid between listening to ourselves and also um, knowing that we might have major steps within a certain time period. And then it might be a period or a season as your beautiful podcast says, a season of rest, and then it might be a season of healing. Um, so that it is, it does seem more manageable because there's nothing that's going to get my anxiety going, uh, quicker than you're going to be in this for the rest of your life. Right. So, (laughs) so I definitely have to put, um, boundaries around that for my, for my mental health. Right. Um, okay. So Tess, you asked about the predominant symptoms of trauma, trauma. Um, I would say particularly for um, high achievers, what we see is um, this kind of um, checklist, as you will, of life, like go, 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 um, very, very um, highly decorated, if you will, lots of degrees, lots of accomplishments, um, very, I can get anything done. Nothing will stop me. And I think those are actually really amazing symptoms, right? And and on the surface, it just looks like that's the perfect trauma response. And yet what happens below the surface of all the accomplishments and all of the accolades is um, periods of underfunctioning, periods of not being able to get out of bed or not being able to return phone calls. Um, and we all have those to a certain degree, but it's a little more pronounced. Um, we see a lot of anxiety. Um, we see some depression. We see, um, a lot of over drinking, not necessarily full blown addiction, but, um, numbing behaviors. So when we're going at breakneck speed, and we're not allowing ourselves to rest ever, something's going to give. And so, um, you know, numbing behaviors can be anything from over drinking to overeating to over exercising. It can be really anything that we take out of the realm of moderation and we use to avoid feeling. Um, Other trauma responses can be... um, a real, what we'll see is a, almost an inability to connect at an authentic level with other people. So it's real, you're, you feel really guarded. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's tricky is if you're an extrovert, you can really pretend that you're connecting with other people. But um, that those deep connections where you're really trusting people are hard are hard to forge for those of us who have had um, extended trauma or even just trauma in general. So I would say those are the the most prevalent symptoms that we see. Well, going into like trauma just on a day in and day out, I feel like my question is um, with twenty twenty and everything that happens, I feel like everyone's traumatized because we've had experiences. If you're a mom with the school situation, whatever it may be, just watching like what feels like the world is just completely and totally chaotic. Um, So I feel like there's that trauma that everyone is carrying, but they're normalizing it because everyone's going through it at the same time versus like it's a one-off situation, like 
you know, you've been sexually abused or you've had yeah. abuse in your family. And so my question with that is like, how do we not normalize that it's not, this isn't normal to feel this overwhelmed or to feel like you have to keep your kids in a bubble to protect them from the insanity of the world. Because I feel like I'm kind of one of those moms right now where I'm trying to test the waters. I had my son in a private, you know, a, a, a private setting school to protect him from essentially the world. And we couldn't do the distance learning thing. And now we're trying to go back into our small community public school, but I'm still paying for the private school and I'm so conflicted. And I feel like it's based on trauma. Like I'm traumatized yeah. at what I cannot identify that could happen next year with a different teacher or a different classroom or different students. And I have a daughter that's 25. I never dealt with these emotions or fears or saw the world this way or the school mm -hmm. system. And so that's just my personal thing I'm walking through where I'm like, I know I'm conflicted because I cannot get to a destination of a decision. Yeah. Like I cannot, it stresses me out. I'm busy. And it's the one thing that's like in the back of the head 24 seven, I just happen to openly share and I'm in the middle of it where yeah. like, I don't have an answer, you know? And, yeah. um, but it's traumatizing as a mom, mm -hmm. not to feel like I'm at a place where I have a clear vision of what to do with my little boy, you know, to make sure that he's safe. Like nothing else really matters outside of that for me. The businesses that this, the dad, if I'm still worrying about, is he okay? And when I say he's okay, breaking that down even more, I'm not talking necessarily just about physically okay. I'm talking about, is he emotionally okay? Mm -hmm. He's such a sponge right now. Like it's my job as his mother to make sure his foundation is good. You know, what I know he needs. And am I providing that for him? Am I going to look back and regret that I didn't do one school over the other it's just like this compound compound effect of really what the last few years, um, you know, sure. what we walk through. And, you know, I think that a lot of times parents right now are even normalizing that. And I'm like, no, I'm really struggling. Like yeah. it's really taking up a lot of space and emotion, spiritually, mentally, you know, where other people are just staying busy and kind of going through the motion. I'm like, I'm, I'm stuck right now. You know, are you seeing that right now? Oh, absolutely. I think what you're describing, Jessica, is, um, you know, there there's actually a kind of a uh, controversy in the field of trauma right now around the COVID-19 post response, right? Mm -hmm. And some people are saying, no, it hasn't fundamentally changed the way people view the world. Therefore, it's not a trauma. And then as I listen to you describe how you're feeling, it has fundamentally changed the way you view the world. Okay. And that is a collective trauma. So if we were a country that was at war for years and years, yes, we would have to get on with the business of living as well, right? Um, but that does not discount the level of stress and trauma that that would um, basically give to each of us. And I, and I don't think it's radically different. And I'm not saying COVID-19 is exactly like war. I realize there is a difference. But what I am saying is when we all go some, through something that is extremely difficult, simply because we are all going through it does not make it less difficult. It, and, and I, to your point, normalizing it is not the answer. Um, Yes, we have to continue to go to work and we um, continue to take care of our children, but 
by acknowledging that it is traumatic and that we have experienced a collective trauma, that's truly the first step in healing. Um, to, to, to kind of address what you're going through with your son, I think that's absolutely what I, we are seeing going on um, with so many people, including myself. I mean, as you're speaking, you're saying nothing else matters. I was, you know, just nodding my head. Yes, exactly. My five kids, that is all I, that's all, that's everything. And of course, Kevin, you know, my husband, <laughs> as, as we all know, <laughs> he's not the vulnerable one. It's the children, right? Exactly. I love you, Kevin. <laughs> but um, it is that's actually a trauma response as well, Jessica, not, not being able to make a decision. And it comes out of that anxiety and that fear of um, what ifs, what if I make the wrong decision? What if, and what I will tell you is yes, you want to be intentional with your decisions on how to approach any sort of um, child rearing question. In my opinion, that, like you said, that is the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to um, be intentional with the next generation that we're raising. At the same time, I just want to reassure you that whatever is going on between you and your son in your home is so powerful. You just cannot underestimate that. And yes, we need to protect them from the world and from people out of our home. But the connection and the um, infrastructure and the sense of safety that you provide for him in your home is what's going to help him build resilience, mm -hmm. help him navigate the world. He is literally looking to you to model how to build safe connections, how to decide who to be friends with and who not to be friends with. Mm -hmm. We can't control what happens out there with our kids, but we are absolutely so influential and in modeling for them how how to navigate all of those hard things. That's really good because Tess and I, even last week, were talking about, or, you know, our just conversations, like the things that we live with, even if it's marriages and business, I don't want to take that concept and infuse it into my son. And when I don't have a sense, I'm aware enough to know like I'm his safe space. So we do have open conversations where we're like, how do you like the new school? What do you miss about the old school? You know, and trying to explore to see where he's at because I'm trying to make an emotionally the academic sure. will fall into place. I need to know that he's, he feels safe where he's at. And so I, I will get into that overthinking where you're like, okay, now I don't even know what's going on. And I will tell him, you know, I've never had such a hard time making you, but I want you to know that I'm prayerful in this and I'm listening to you. And then, you know, at night I'm like, God, you know, that's too much. Is that too much involvement for him? Is this stressing him out? I'm stressing myself <laughs> out. And then rolling into like the, the other thing that I would like to talk about that causes more trauma on top of it is then you add in social media where everybody's dropping their kids off and just happy and, you know, mm -hmm. like the world, all everything is normal again. And I'm sitting here like, like a deer in headlights. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm wise enough to know that the reels are not real, but I'm like, I don't have that sense of peace in my drop off yet. 
like, I know he's safe, but I don't know that I'm doing, you know, I'm not, I'm conflicted. And so then you have that whole other thing with the social media that I feel like is day in and day out trauma for people just yeah. by seeing what you might not even know you're digesting. That's oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think social media can be such a tool for good and for spreading um, wonderful information, educational information. And it can also be a tool for comparison and for raising our anxiety levels and for dysregulating our nervous system. And so it's really, it's just a tool and we have to decide how to use it and when to use it. And I think that's a really great point. There may be people who are not even consciously aware of their discomfort. Um, and that's one thing I've noticed in the journey of healing. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this, Jessica or Tess, but you know, there was a point in my life where I wasn't even consciously aware of what was bothering me. Um, I would have like a nudge that I wouldn't even be able to consciously say if it was about drop off, I wouldn't even be able to identify, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm feeling anxious about dropping the kids off at a new school. That wouldn't even be in my wheelhouse. I would just have this sense like something doesn't feel right, but that's okay. I'll figure it out and I'll just go eat something or drink something or, you know. And so I think one of the blessings that I hear, Jessica, is that you have an awareness and an, an awareness of your feelings to the to the point that you are acutely aware of your discomfort. And that's that's a gift. And it's also it's difficult um, because once you acknowledge um, those uncomfortable feelings, that's where you're at now is making that decision. And you alluded to, you know, using prayer. And I was that's my go to. Um, you know, I wasn't religious for many, many years. And I did find my way back to spirituality and religion through AA, actually, um, initially. And that is truly when I can't figure things out and there's no bad decision and there's no good decision, I, I take it to my higher power and I weigh it out and I wait and listen. And I think those of us who suffer from anxiety, that gets a little tricky, right? Because we're listening <laughs> for the spiritual nudge. And sometimes it's hard to quiet that inner voice, um, that anxious voice. So I just want to encourage you to continue to, I mean, you're doing all of the wonderful steps of prayer and involving your son and really being thoughtful about it. Um, and I just, I think you have experienced part of the collective trauma and that's what you're you're experiencing but i just do want to encourage you that you're doing amazing truly yeah you know i think too reminding ourselves like as human beings is that we're not gonna get to heaven perfectly Mm -hmm. and things and make decisions that aren't the best and like you said it's not that it comes from a bad place and that we're labeling ourselves as a bad person but it's okay. It's like part of the journey. And some of my most deepest, like nuggets of wisdom that I can give to somebody came from a decision I made that wasn't the best decision. Mm-hmm. And being, you know, I, and I remind myself of that, like I'm scared right now of making a decision that might have a really negative impact on my son. That's out of my control. I mean, that's what it comes down to is it's out of my sure. control. Um, but 
it, the end result is that there's always nuggets of wisdom along the way. If he's not, he is safe at both schools. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, just remembering that too. Like sometimes I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to make the perfect decision, whatever that is, whatever thing that we're trying to figure out. And I loved how you said that sometimes it's not a good or a bad decision. It's just what feels right in that moment. And decisions change over time. Like I decision for the next, you know, my son's eight. And, you know, initially when I put him in school, I thought he was going to be there until he went to high school. So I'm way ahead of myself in regards to what I'm trying to figure out instead of right now, today, what is best for our family this year, you know, and keeping it simple. I've overcomplicated everything. Well, I think too, like something that comes into play here is trust because like there has to be a point, like you said, over and over, it's like, I don't have control over that. I'm, I'm, I have anxiety about it. I have fear around it, but I don't have control over it. So for me, it's like getting to that place where I'm on a journey, you know, my son trusts me to be a, a guide and to, you know, he'll look to me to like make these important decisions, but ultimately he's also on his journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I'm making decisions from that place of, of power, because I'm going within and I'm understanding how it is that I unpack in order to make good decisions, then it can't really ever be wrong. Like it just can't be, there is no such thing, right? There's gonna be a path that, a trajectory that he's on for the decision that you made right now, and then you may change it later, but that's shaping also his journey. So if he has struggles in that, which he will, because we're here on earth, right? There's gonna be struggles either way, but you've done it from a place of, I've made this decision out of pure, you know, wanting to do what's best for you. Yeah. I think that what happens is if we're trying to justify a decision, but we haven't come to peace with how we got through that, like the process of making that decision is more important than the decision, if that makes sense. Well, and I love how you said too, like decisions don't need to be made overnight. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Like if this is going to be, maybe the journey is the decision. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Well, and Jessica, for high achieving women, I mean, honestly, I'm super impressed because you're exhibiting flexible thinking. You're, you're willing to share that this is worrying you. So you're, you're kind of like piercing the perfectionist veil. I mean, this is really good work, like incredibly good work. And I know Tess, you're going through your own journey and doing very similar work. Um, So I think that when you're identifying the decision might be part of the journey. I think you're spot on, quite frankly. I cannot wait for my husband to listen to this because we talked about this. (laughs) And he's a firefighter paramedic. So oh, every day. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, midnight poking him when he's sleeping. And I'm like, how are you sleeping right now? I can't, I can't sleep. You know, where are you sleeping? Where is your I left feeling great. And then I'm back in the like wheelhouse. But I think it's yeah. good. Like, you know, at the end of the day, my husband wants peace from me because he knows that I'm an influencer in our home and that sure. I'm shaken right now. And I really did have peace. And I think this is important for our listeners to know is that it's a, it is a process and a journey. And right now there are things that are wrecking me inside and it's giving me an opportunity to kind of question beliefs that I had and where they came from 
and letting them go and allowing new ones to come in mm -hmm. and to really explore these deeper conversations with my son, which in a sense gives me a deeper connection to him. Um, even though I don't really know where we're going to land on the specific subject, mm -hmm. there's some really cool moments of intimacy with my son mm -hmm. that um, would not be happening right now without this being like the mountain that we're climbing. Yeah. How old is he, Jessica? He's eight. Oh, that's such a good age. I mean, I, you know, our, our kids have all gone through that age at this point now. And um, that to me is when I first started seeing their real spiritual awakening in the sense that they were taking ownership of their own relationship with a higher power more so than before. And I think the fact that you're involving him in this decision um, is just wonderful. I mean, talk about empowering for him. So good to hear things like that, you know, because I feel like, and this, and this is why these kind of conversations are so important. You know, typically I'm somebody that doesn't really talk about something until I'm the other side of it. Because mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that I have really nothing to give if I have it. Once, once I'm on the other side, if I can share the actual, the full process <laughs> of it. But yeah. Certain one, I mean, I have a hard time, you know, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that everyone just feels really confident in the decisions they're making with their children right now. And I finally just got to a place where I felt so exhausted internally, where I was like, you know what, I'm just, I, I have to be honest with where I'm at because it's too exhaust, exhausting to go about all the things that I'm doing and pretending that that's not like a pain point for me right now. And it has given me freedom to actually do the things I'm called to do right now and be okay with not knowing where we're landing on it. Yeah. And, and you're giving your listeners a gift. You're showing them a process, which um, quite frankly, most people are not willing to show. It's, it's incredibly vulnerable to not know the answer. Um, so I really, I do, I commend you for being willing to open up to your listeners like that. Amy, uh, Amy will you, um, so I think that it's it's it would be fun to dive into um, the different veins of what goes on for the mending trauma program because I know that one component is you, but your sister and your sister-in-law are mm -hmm. are partners, and you guys each have um, your own area of expertise, and that plays into being able to kind of wrap someone up, so to speak, and and move them through this process with um, different, I guess, modalities, or I don't know what. Mm. The but different ways of, um, you know, healing. Sure. What yeah. is that, that you, you keep saying that test and you've been through it for me, that doesn't. Here, that process. And then what does that timeline mm -hmm. look like? Because I think yeah. that's for people to know, like, you know, that's a great question. Okay. So first question for, um, to answer tests is we basically work together to, as you said, wrap people in our different areas of expertise. And my background, I have um, a PhD in gender studies and religion. And my research for the five years previous to starting um, Mending Trauma focused on um, national conflict and how um, women, specifically in Rwanda and South Africa, were um, dealing with national conflict after um, apartheid and genocide. And so after overseeing, you know, four or 500 interviews um, and seeing this, this theme of trauma, I started trying to figure out, well, what does neurology say about this? Because I was feeling kind of stuck. 
Um, so then I went into the literature and that's when um, I really started talking to my sisters who also had been working on um, trauma in their respective fields. So Lena was a licensed marriage and family therapist in California for over 20 years. She also ran a nonprofit, Hope for Healthy Families, and um, really is an expert in um she started out actually working with juvenile sex offenders and then went, um, that was, you know, 20 years ago and then went into, um, helping individuals, families, couples, and really has, is excellent at high conflict, um, situations, whether that's with abuse or, um, marriage, marriages dissolving or partnerships dissolving. And um, so that's her area of expertise. And she's been trained in tons of different therapeutic modalities. And then our sister-in-law, Gina, is a medical doctor. And she actually specializes in resilience and helping um, people build resilience and especially parents um, teach their helping parents learn resilience so they can teach their children resilience. Um, and she actually um, is a working doctor in San Diego right now. So that is um, kind of our, our areas of expertise. And we approach it through a really like a holistic um, method. And so our company is Mending Trauma and the program is called the Whole Health Lab. And it is actually 12 months. And again, you can stop. I mean, you can start and you can take a break and you can keep going. And it's very much self-paced. But we use a lot of different um, therapeutic modalities that are um, proven in the medical literature to be very, very effective, particularly for trauma. So as I talked about earlier, if you're having a relationship issue, I think talk therapy is the gold standard. I mean, Kevin and I have been in talk therapy. We probably end up going, you know, we've been married 22 years. And I think about on average, every five years, we're back in marriage therapy, like trying to figure out, you know, more skills to, to keep our union strong. Um, so therapy is awesome. But when we're talking about trauma, we're, we've had some issues with the brain and the nervous system, and those require a different set of therapeutic skills. And so we use um, EMDR, which is an incredible therapeutic tool that is the equivalent to eight sessions of talk therapy in terms of how quickly you can progress. We use um, EFT tapping. We use trauma-informed yoga. We um, have each month you have a module that you're learning different concepts and you're practicing different concepts. And then um, we also have a weekly community connection that people can come to. Nothing is required. Um, again, it's very self-paced, self-led, um, because a lot of it is, it's all digital and a lot of it is on your own time. There's just, you know, two things a week that if you choose to go to the live, then you can. And you'll obviously get more out of it when you go to a live EMDR and when you show up for the community connection. Um, because the research shows that when we heal in a community, it is extremely beneficial for us because we're witnessing each other. And just like this conversation of three of us, um, 
it's it's powerful when we can witness each other and um and and heal together i love how you said and use that term of like community too because i do feel like you know with people coming out of isolation and not being connected at work and the churches are closed and all those things like mm -hmm. i really do feel like we had started with i had said you know like releasing redeeming and then rediscovering and i feel like in that rediscovering it is really rediscovering your community like who mm -hmm. you're going to move forward in life with and making sure because i 100 percent agree with you it's not it's the accountability it's knowing that you're seen um, it's knowing that you're not, you're not alone, um, and getting to walk through and learn from people, um, you know, you and I might have, um, the Lord that we lead into and, and that might be our resting place, but some people don't have that belief system. You know, they are really yep. trying to the world on their own. And that alone sounds exhausting to me. Like no yeah. wonder you're exhausted. That's, that's an exhausting task to take on. And so in community, we kind of get to use those tools. And I think it's really important for our listeners to know that if that is you and you're sitting there alone, and maybe you're the one that's just looking for the next podcast to give you the next thing to kind of try to find your way out, but you're still navigating life in itself and your traumas and your hurt pains and trying to figure out your success one podcast at a time and one self-help book, it's still really important to find your people and to be loved by them and to love them well too. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about along your healing journey, um, kind of going through some of those friendships and relationships and rethinking them. And I think that's really common. And I know it, through my healing journey, um, as I've progressed in self-awareness, it's changed the type of person that I want to be connected to. And I want to be connected to other people who are trying to be self-aware. We can't be self-aware of everything. I mean, we have a subconscious. Um, but I really, you know, I love, it's just, there's nothing like finding people who are on the same journey of discovering how they can um, essentially become their best version. And, um, and I think that's another piece of offering community that I love that you know, our relationships do change as we heal. Um, they don't have to, but often they do. And so that community is another place to um, build relationships that are really centered on similar goals. Yeah, I, I feel like just in my fitness community that I have, you know, a strong conversation this week was, you know, choices that people are making that are bringing them pain and trauma is based on the relationships they're choosing to keep, whether that yeah. was a friendship, whether the boundaries within those relationships, because maybe they have to coexist and maybe it's in-laws, whatever that looked like. Mm -hmm. But when I had repositioned that the way that they were allowing these people to treat them and continuing to fill up the cup of pain was, um, and Nova, Nova, Novi and podcast is that like, we're all on our journey home and who's walking mm -hmm. us home. And if you look at that on who's around you, it makes it really intimate. And right now that is your walk. You know, we're not going to be here forever. And who's walking you home right now might change your sense of who you want to the left, to the right, behind and in front of you. And it's really important, you know, mm -hmm. to have a sense of knowing that that's really the bigger picture here. 
You know, I think we do feel like we have this forever thing. Well, okay, I'll deal with this for right now, you know, because we think that we're here forever. We're not putting our life, our joy, our happiness, our healing, our growing, our all these things on a timeline of like, you know what, I'm really not going to be here forever. This exchange for my peace and my time and my love and um, taking me away from my family is not how I want to spend my time. And in exchanging it with something that's going to be healthy, and that's our responsibility. That's not the people surrounding us responsibility. And I feel like a lot of times people get tripped up on the fact that they're thinking these people are responsible for their joy and mm -hmm. their success and their connection and all of these things. And, you know, it's really hard. I mean, I feel like the vast majority of people live in that space. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree, Jessica. And what you've identified is what we would call an external locus of control um, versus an internal locus of control. So one of the things we teach and we really want people to learn because it is a skill is that we can only control ourselves, period, end of story. We might think we can control other people and other situations, but we can't. And so when it comes to our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, truly taking that, um, that locus of control and going inward and realizing, wait a minute, that's, that's my thought pattern that's causing this particular stress, or that's my behavior in this relationship that's doing that. Or they are choosing to act like this, and now I'm going to use my active agency, and I'm going to decide how I want to respond because I can only control myself. Um, and a lot of what you know, we talk about my sisters and I, a lot of what we're seeing in society right now is an external locus of control. You did something and I'm upset. You made me blah, blah, blah. Um, because of you, I, so, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. And, you know, we, it, that could be accurate. There are a lot of bad things that happen. It, it is accurate to say that the person who hurt me when I was younger really devastated me for years. However, at this point now, you know, as soon as I became aware of what happened, it, it becomes my locus of control. What do I want to do with this information? What do I want to do with these feelings and thoughts that come from something that happened? Um, and I think you've just nailed it that we really need to realize we, we are the, only ones that we can control. And um, we we have to go inward and, and make decisions based on what's best for us. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, the, that, that low vibrational victim mentality just keeps like we're, we're bringing in that which we're trying to avoid. Right. So mm -hmm. it hurt me. I, I'm going to find a lot of reasons that people are hurting me. Um, and so, I, and I think that what's scary about taking radical control or full responsibility for yourself is that maybe I haven't done the work on things that, uh, that, that, so I have, to, I can't just go inside to find the joy and the happiness. I'm going to find some cobwebs in there and how for sure. front those things. It's easier for me to blame someone else because then I don't have to look at those things that maybe I don't like that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, Tess, that's a great point. And I remember when I was first in recovery, um, I just was so 
scared every time someone brought something up to me that I needed to work on, you know, because those are some pretty confrontational environments, especially living in a halfway house. (laughs) Oh, man, that was some painful stuff. Um, But I remember something I heard, um, and I can't remember if it was one of the counselors at the halfway house or if it's someone at a meeting, and they talked about learning to um, run towards change basically, and run towards the discomfort. And for whatever reason, that imagery really helped me to reframe um, when I'm discovering things about myself I don't like, which still happens all the time, especially as we know, parenthood, it is the hardest hood, right? It is just like every day you're like, oh my goodness, I could do better, I could do this. Um, And especially with multiple children who have all different um, needs and styles. And so I think it is very daunting to look at ourselves. It becomes easier when we have at least one person that, um, we feel we can be safe with and we can kind of test that out. Um, a couple more people are even better, but that is why healing is so powerful with another person and even a community. Um, because it, it sucks some days to look at our cobwebs, as you said. Um, and that's when we get to lean into um, other people and they get to witness all the wonderful things that we have in our lives and that we are. I mean, we are all equally flawed and equally gifted and wonderful. And I think when we can, um, when we can truly accept that as humans, that's, that's just part of it. We will never be perfect, nor are we villains. We are always both at the same time. Um, I think that become for me, becomes a little easier to look at all those cobwebs. That's really good. I love that too. So Amy, if people want to get more information, they, you know, that this has just inspired them or lit something up inside them or, Maybe this podcast is what starts somebody on that healing journey. How can they find you? Um, Are you local? You said you don't do in-person. We don't do in-person. We do it digitally because of there is such a mental health um, shortage. And so it helps address kind of that mental health shortage as well, um, where we can offer help anywhere um, in the U S or globally, actually, we have some people from Canada right now. Um, but they can find us at mendingtrauma.com and our program is called the whole health lab. We're also on Instagram at mending trauma. And we also have a podcast, the universe is your therapist. And those are great resources. We go over skills, um, each week that, you know, perhaps you're not ready for formal, um, healing and you're not ready for a program or an appointment, but you just want to keep learning. And that's a great way to continue to learn about um, different therapeutic tools that you can put, you know, into practice. So many different resources with that. So that's awesome. 
for listeners that are out there, we really encourage you to kind of dig in. First of all, we talked about community and making sure that you're connected is really important, you know? And the fun thing about getting connected again is that you get to choose those connections, which is great. You can be present. You're hearing how important it is to be intentional with those things, to be able to do life with people. But also like um, Amy said, is like to be able to heal with somebody and know that you're loved despite the cobwebs is like a really profound and powerful place to be, especially when you first experience that in your healing journey. Like, wow, you know, that thing you've held on to for so long that you never wanted someone to know because it made you unlovable is simply a lie that I feel like the enemy keeps people in bondage for so long because they believe that lie when it's like every single person is lovable there are people out there that will do life with you. There are resources like this for you to get the resources you need to heal. And we love that we're able to open up these conversations and just share a little bit to give people nuggets to find people like you, Amy. So thank you for sharing with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Amy. I, I'm never, ever disappointed in a conversation with you. I thank you for so much time to walk us walk our listeners through um, you, your journey, um, your collaboration with your family in order to bring this to um, a greatly needing population. Um, and one thing that I want to specifically thank you for is, you know, the, the people look at the price tag on trying to move through stuff like this with a, a therapist, with all these modalities. And one thing that I definitely want to point out is that you and your family have made this affordable for people. They don't have to spend thousands of dollars, you know, and thinking that this is just going to be some money suck. Um, you guys have made it available and affordable. And so um, that's another reason I think I want to encourage really people nice. to, to seek you out. Thank you, Tess. I really appreciate it. And I, it was such an honor to speak to you both. It was so nice to have this conversation. Thank you. Yes. Well, have a wonderful weekend. We will be in touch with you soon. And I would love to do some collaborations with the Sisterhood Collective. Oh, for that would be wonderful. So that we do have a confirmed date for the next Sisterhood Collective. It's going to be on November 18th. And that's all I'm going to tell you. That's your teaser. <laughs> Mark your calendars. It's going to be amazing. And we're definitely going to go with the theme of what do you need to release? What do you need to redeem? And how are you going to rediscover so that you can live the best life and the life that you were called to live here on this earth? I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for listening and joining us today on In Every Season. Hey, we really are looking to grow our audience. We really feel like the message and the people and the guests and the things that we're talking about need to be shared more. So if you could just like and share this episode, we would really appreciate it.